2: Saturday night mystery movie. My name is Inspector Ike, and I'm here to solve this mystery. Roll camera. <laughs> when a star actor gets knocked off by his understudy, what does all this mean? What's happened to Chip? It's up to New York City's greatest police detective to crack the case. Alright. Who did it? You do it? No. You do it? No. You do it? No. Do you think he killed himself? It's possible. And the stage is set for a high-stakes game of cat and mouse. Pressure's on. Big time. That will leave you begging for an encore. Hip, hip.
0: Hip, hip. Hooray. Yeah, hip, hip. Hooray. Hip, hip. Hooray. Hip, hip. Hooray.
2: Inspector Ike, coming soon.
1: Inspector Ike wants his usual.
3: Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. On this episode, I'm talking with two people that are behind the recent film Inspector Ike. When it comes time for people to ask me what were my favorite movies of 2022, do not let me forget Inspector Ike because it is fantastic. It's one of these very, let's say, dry comedies that I enjoy so much. And it's somewhat of a parody of Columbo. So, two things that go great together. Really enjoyed this movie. If you haven't seen Inspector Ike, I highly recommend it. You can get it now on Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome. It is out there on streaming. Check it out, and I hope you enjoy this twin pack of interviews. First up, you're going to hear from the director and co-writer, Graham Mason. And after that, you're going to hear from the star of the show, Inspector Ike himself, Ikechiku Ifomadu. Hope you enjoy these interviews, and like I said... Definitely check out Inspector Ike. Can you tell me a little bit how you got your start?
1: I'm from Michigan originally, and I moved to New York. Yeah. Yeah. Are you based in Michigan?
3: Yeah, I'm right outside of Detroit.
1: Okay, cool. I'm from a town called Comstock Park, which is right outside Grand Rapids. And I went to the University of Michigan for undergrad and uh, studied film there.
3: When were you there?
1: 2001 through 2005.
3: Okay. I graduated in 94.
1: Okay, cool. All right. Well, go blue. I finished film school at Michigan and then I went, I moved to New York and I went to grad school at Columbia and I went to get more film school. While I was out here, I, you know, was writing and I I was in a comedy group called Sunset Television. We made a bunch of videos, and then as you know, time passed, I started sort of making more like individual independent projects and making short films and things like that. And a lot of that those shorts were drawing from like the Brooklyn uh, sort of New York alternative comedy scene. A lot of the cast that I would draw from for these shorts and web series projects were comedians that I was like going out and seeing that same kind of vibe informed inspector. Ike like inspector Ike was very much cast with like people that I sort of knew and that I had seen performed a bunch of times.
3: Well, tell me about some of these shorts that you were making. What were they like?
1: I've made a, uh, three projects for Adult Swim that were sort of like one-off shorts. Two of them are these 11 minute things. One is called Whenever. A lot of my work is kind of stylized. It'll often be like a fake version of something that already exists. So Whenever is like a medieval, it's like a medieval romance and it just plays out in two characters that are in like castles and they're, they're in like the windows of two Castles facing each other and they're like, yell. they have to yell to each other to communicate. Uh, In the pandemic, I did a short, this is actually after we did Inspector Egg. I did a short called Starhawks. That's like about a team of fighter pilots and it's all, all the characters are like flying in these tiny miniature fighter jets, a lot of different stuff. I have a short called Phone Story that is probably the short that has done the best on the internet and has been seen the most. And that one framework is all sort of like different characters, text messages and phone calls to each other. And it's filmed in this very like minimal way. There's kind of a whole body of work that you can check out of of shorts and web series things. Yeah.
3: Is there one good location for all that? Or do you have to go digging?
1: I have a website that's just my name with a hyphen. So it's like Graham-Mason.com. There's like a tab for short films and all the shorts are organized on there.
3: Now I've seen Words with Ike. Was that the first time that you had worked with Ike or had you known him before that?
1: We collaborated on a short called The Photos of Anna. That's on my website. That's with also this actor, Anna Fabrega, who's an inspector. She's one of the deputies. So we made that. And then we made Words with Ike, which we just sort of made independently the first season in my like office space. And then it was like subsequently broadcast on ifc which was pretty cool like like we got like licensed and then we recently made a second season of words with ike for this tv show called cake that's on fx that just came out maybe like six months ago if you have hulu you can watch it on cake yeah i've been like a big fan of ike's comedy for like a really long time when i first started sort of going to shows he was one of the performers that i would see that i was just like oh i really want to work with this this person
3: yeah, I mostly know him from because he's done a ton of acting and he's shown up in so many things. And so when I I didn't realize that he had the comedy chops that he does. I didn't realize that he is a comic.
1: He's, you know, up doing shows like a few nights a week at different comedy venues around New York, pretty much every week. He's super funny. If you ever get a chance to see him live, a really good show.
3: So how did Inspector Ike come about? I mean, this is your first feature.
1: So the way it came about was We had made these projects. We had made Words with Ike and the photos of Anna. And I was interested in like collaborating and making something a little bit bigger. And I had the idea that I thought Ike would make a good sort of Leslie Nielsen-esque, like Frank Drebin type character because Ike has this really amazing deadpan. He can go very, very silly and very absurd and almost kind of surreal, but it's with this totally straight face. And And that kind of reminded me of those zucker abrams zucker movies abraham zucker so i was like what about you as a sort of detective character he was like yeah that sounds good and we came up with the name inspector ike i put together like a, a pitch packet for a web series we pitched the the web series thing to comedy central and comedy central they were like can you put it up as a like a live show which was which was kind of a cool unexpected um challenge they have this monthly live show at you at the upright citizens brigade theater here in new york where they send their like development executives and um when they're interested in like a talent or a project that they they put on this show so they were like could you turn it into an hour-long live show so we accepted the challenge and we came up with this structured improv show that was like a whodunit kind of structure it was like an agatha christie thing where Ike was um interrogating four different comedians like on stage in this kind of improvised way. And then at the end of the show he decided who the murderer was like live on stage. It was, you know, like an improvised decision. So it sold out and it was like a really fun night. And we figured out a lot of the character and we also figured out a decent amount of bits that then made it into the movie. So then we're waiting for Comedy Central to say whether or not they wanted to like do more with the idea. And they kind of they kind of didn't they basically passed on it, but this producer who was in the audience at the show reached out to Ike. His name was Ian Bell, and he said, "There's this arts organization called Brick that's um, based in Brooklyn that gives out money to different like sort of independent TV and film projects, and then also there's this company called Factory 25 that is like a really great decade plus independent." distribution and production company run by this guy, Matt Grady. So Ian Bell was like, Hey, you know, you can potentially get this financing from brick and they'll sort of support the project. And then factory 25 can produce it. Do you think that there could be a movie here? And it's like a micro budget movie. Yeah. And I can, I were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's give it a go. So that was how the project came together.
3: When was this that you were putting on the show originally?
1: Late 2018 or early 2019, we actually filmed the movie in 2019, like pre-pandemic. And then it's just taken a really long time to come out.
3: How did the writing of it go?
1: We had kind of figured out the character, which was based around taking Ike's comedic persona that he does in different shows, like the comedic persona that's in that Words With Ike web series. In our mind, that's like the same character that's acting in Inspector Ike, if that makes any sense. So we talked a lot about the character. We would just like meet up like a diner or a coffee shop and talk through bits and talk through story stuff. And I'd take notes. I was kind of more the person going and sitting down in front of Final Draft and like writing stuff and laying out the script in in Final Draft. But we were sort of like always in communication and the sort of like genesis of the project and sort of central component of the character was like kind of written in this live show. And then the other thing that was very important to the writing of the script was I was trying to figure out what the movie should be. Ike and I were talking and he was like, have you ever watched Columbo? Because there's this interesting thing that Columbo does where instead of a it,' which is what we had done in the live show, it's a how catch him where you like know who the killer is the whole time. Then. It's this cat and mouse game of like, how's how's the detective going to catch the the criminal? Like, how's the criminal going to slip up? I was like aware of Columbo from my childhood, but I hadn't really watched it with like a critical eye as an adult. And I put one on, I was really surprised by the running time. Like, I, I kind of assumed that it was an hour long show. And then I was like, oh, it's a movie. And I realized like, oh, this is a series of movies. It's actually, it's not a TV show. It's kind of like 90 movies or however many they made. Yeah, that was like a big part of the genesis of the idea was Ike suggesting I would look at Columbo, us talking about the how Ketchum formula, and then I watched it and I was like, Ike, maybe we should just do this, like just kind of create this sort of Columbo-esque structure, use this Columbo-esque structure, and then slot your comedic persona and my weird sense of humor and and sort of build it around that skeleton.
3: Was it always planned to be kind of shot like an episode of television set in the 70s?
1: Part of the spark that kind of crystallized it for me was watching Columbo and then just like taking a look at it and kind of thinking in the back of my mind, like, I think if we got the right, you know, turtlenecks and the right burgundy blazers, and if we sort of lit it in a certain way and got the right lenses, we could in a very handmade, scrappy, fashion, create something in this style. when the idea sparked of oh let's do this Colombo structure and let's play with this TV movie format, definitely part of that was it's gonna look like this kind of 70s TV movie and we're gonna kind of create like a fake lost TV movie. That's something that I really like in my work, especially the work that I did in this comedy group Sunset television it has this quality of like an artifact where you're sort of like, where did this come from? What is this thing? I really like that uh, feeling.
3: Well, and you did something that Columbo never did, which was you actually had an opening credit sequence.
1: The movie does the Columbo thing where you don't see the detective for 20 minutes. It has this really long, detailed, cold open. And I felt like with a one-off movie, you had to see Ike and kind of see like, oh, there's this fun this fun guy that's coming, like, you know, just be patient. There's this fun guy that's going to be coming. So that, that was part of the idea of the opening title sequence. Uh, Yeah.
3: I love that sequence. And especially the little
1: kid that gets the handcuffs for Christmas. I yeah. We were kind of joking about like, what was his crime? (laughs) What, what, what did the kid do?
3: You have worked with so many comedians there in New York. I mean, is that the majority of the people that are in here? Because these are unfamiliar faces to me, but they're so good.
1: A lot of them are people that are my friends and are people from the, the comedy scene in New York. And a lot of them are in stuff like the guy who gets killed, John Early. He's in that TV show Search Party. He's super funny on that show. Anna Fabrega, who's one of the deputies, has a TV show called Loza Spookies that's on HBO. The head of the theater company, Aparna Nancherla. She's in like Bojack Horseman and a lot of stuff. It's kind of like this troop of... Really funny, really amazing character actors and comedians that I'm super big fans of. Yeah.
3: Well, tell me more about, is it Matt Barats? Is that how you say his last name?
1: Yeah, Matt Barats. Yeah. Yeah, he's a really good friend of mine. I wrote the part kind of thinking of him in the back of my mind as I was writing it, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we've collaborated on a lot of projects. We have this project called Reveries that there's two installments of that I work on with Matt. And this other comedian, Anthony Oberbeck, who actually plays the other deputy in the movie, the kind of dopey mustache deputy. We call them comedy tone poems, and they're sort of like comedy albums, but there's like a visual that you can watch. So, yeah, Matt's just kind of a really good friend of mine who's a great performer. He is from Idaho and he kind of trained in Chicago. And a lot of the people that I was seeing in, New York, when I was kind of like discovering this extremely vital comedy scene where people that moved from Chicago that were part of a theater called the Annoyance Theater that you can read about. Yeah. It's kind of like a whole generation of comedic performers. A lot of them are in a lot of stuff now. And Matt uh, and Anthony were both a part of that scene, I guess, the, the Annoyance Theater scene. Yeah.
3: Matt definitely can play Unhinged so
1: well. He's such a good actor. I love his performance and it's a really big performance. Like he's everybody in the movie is kind of doing like a deadpan. They're playing it fairly straight and he's just cranked up, you know, in this way that I think has a kind of Jim Carrey esque or like Will Forte kind of quality. There's like an intensity to it that I really, really like. Yeah.
3: When the more cranked up he gets, the more calm, Ike seems.
1: Yeah, totally. Their dynamic is so good. Ike is just like such a cool, confident character. And yeah, Matt can just go wild. He can go pretty unhinged. Yeah.
3: Well, tell me about the shooting of the film. What was that like for you?
1: It was really a crazy shoot. We had a very low budget. So it was kind of like a project where you're calling in a lot of favors and a lot of people are donating their time or working for very, very low rates. It was very compressed and we actually only shot it in 10 days. It was a 10 day shoot. It was about a 90 page script. So that meant that we were doing like on an average of nine pages a day, which is absolutely nuts. Yeah. So it was this crazy sprint. I honestly like, don't know how we pulled it off. It kind of feels like it was like a heist or something like a bank, like executing like a bank heist. I think the way that we pulled it off was the department heads, like the creative leads did amazing jobs and did a ton of prep. like the production designer, the costume designer, the cinematographer, everyone was just really, really like bringing their a game. And for a lot of the department heads, it was their first feature as well. So I think there was this kind of collective spirit of like, let's really try to do a good job. The actors were just incredibly well-prepared and like really had a, strong sense of like what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it and what they thought was funny, but yeah. So the movie didn't have a lot of coverage, like every single shot that's in the movie. It's not like there's like a third angle that I'm not using in the scene. It's like, that's it, you know? And a lot of the scenes are covered just in maybe two camera angles, but I think that sort of lends itself to this overall, it's a, it's sort of minimal and it, and it kind of lends itself to this deadpan thing that just really foregrounds the performances and, helps the comedy.
3: Well, it's also smart too because, you know, the Colombo shoots were not that extravagant. So, having a low budget and playing into that, I think was very, very smart. I mean, it looks great, but it looks cheap, but you revel in the cheapness.
1: Absolutely, yeah. That was another thing that I was keeping in mind was that I bet those those Colombo shoots are probably like 5-day shoots. Like, I don't know, you know. I mean, they were working on an industrial sort of rate, I would say. Yeah, I kept that in mind. And I also sort of looked at Columbus and recognized the way that they reuse locations. They'll kind of come back to the same mansion five times. And, you know, you just think about that production schedule Is they just, you know, shot at that mansion for two days and had a half hour of the movie, you know, in the can. And then they went to the restaurant and shot there for, you know, two days and got the other half, you know what I mean? So I kind of tried to recreate that model or something with this one
3: well and speaking of restaurant i mean colombo's favorite dish is chili so mm-hmm. how much chili did you guys eat on that shoot
1: <laughs> not very much it was mostly pictured chili but i love that colombo loves chili and also the chili recipe that's in the movie which is like one of the silliest parts of the movie it's a very like rich recipe I wouldn't make it every single day. It's a little comedically exaggerated, that uh, chili recipe. Yeah. It kind of goes on and on and on.
3: So with such a tight schedule, was there a lot of rehearsals beforehand?
1: There were no rehearsals. (laughs) This is like a little bit of a cliche or something, but it's like if you cast it well, you know, 90% of your work is done. I I, I think that the actors really just kind of knew what they were doing. But the way that it it worked was, was basically we would we would sort of do a rehearsal on set, but we would roll on in case it was good. (laughs) So that was sort of like take one. And then we would take a little pause and talk it over. And if it was essentially in the ballpark of what I was hoping for, then I wouldn't give that much feedback. And it would sort of just be like, okay, keep going. You're doing great. Which more often than not, that was the case, you know, and I didn't have to make a lot of adjustments, you know, we'd get like two or three more takes. And then we would, Often if there was time, do kind of like an improv take where if they wanted to go off book and get a little bit weirder with it or like explore some ideas, which Matt and Ike both did a lot, like they both did a lot of writing and kind of came up with a lot of really funny moments and like turns of phrase on set. We would get those and then it would be like that's it, you know, time to move on to the next camera setup. There wasn't a lot of time for like the process, like the acting process. It was just like keep kind of going through it, cranking through it.
3: Can you remember some of those better improv moments that they had together?
1: There's like a moment where in the script, Ike is kind of like catching uh, Harry, the character that Matt's plays in like a, a moment where he seems very guilty. Ike says like without any hesitation. And then Matt in the script was says none whatsoever. And Matt had the idea to add an incredibly long beat of hesitation before he says none whatsoever. He just sort of elevated the joke in a way that, was so clever and so clearly just kind of there. Like you didn't even have to change the lines, but it became like a much more clever joke or really there wasn't a joke there. And he created a joke. The moment where Matt Bratz like curses in the movie, which is the only time a character swears, that was like a very wild take where he was kind of just like kamikaze, just going wild. There's a moment where Ike talks about how he's talking to uh, Rita, the widow, of Harry. And he's saying that she can call him at the station. And if his secretary is not there, he can leave a message. And, and uh, it's this very sort of like long, odd, very kind of deadpan weird moment. I remember that was one where I just asked if he could just do that. And it was like, yeah, sounds good. There, there was a lot, a lot of them were almost like just the actors kind of slipping them in. The other thing in terms of speaking of improvisation is the scenes with the deputies and Ike, in the police station, which there's like three of them, those scenes are like the most improvised scenes in the movie. Anna and Anthony, who are both very skilled improvisers, that they're pretty much playing around in those scenes. And those scenes were really delightful to film. Yeah. Their love story is kind of one of the most fun, like little uh, B, B plots of the movie. So how much before
3: the world shut down did you shoot this?
1: We shot it in August of 2019. So also shot it in August. So it was hot in New York city. So those actors are wearing like turtlenecks. I'm very grateful to them for doing that. It was a hot shoot also. That's, that's another fun detail. Yeah. Shot it in August. And then I went right into post and, and was trying kind of racing to try and submit to like some, to like spring festivals. So we didn't have to wait a whole year. And then the pandemic hit in uh, as we all know, March, and I pretty much had a locked cut by then. But the sort of final finishing, the the sound mix and the color correction, was all done like remotely during the lockdown. And then we we premiered virtually at Maryland in 2020. So it's it's just been this kind of long rollout. You know, this we were sort of in this kind of haze of the virtual film festival circuit for like 18 months.
3: That must be a weird process. I mean, not that you've experienced having a feature film to put out there, but just to have that extended, let's call it a birthing process for this long.
1: I definitely like lost my cool with it. And and I've had to recalibrate my expectations of what making a first feature that's like a fun comedy with a bunch of my friends, like how it's going to play out you know, you try to have fun with it. It's funny having these things play out in your apartment where you're like, okay, we're live now in New Orleans, you know, which, which we actually won. We won the New Orleans Film Festival, which was amazing. And I'm, yeah, I'm very, I don't mean to like knock. It's so great that all these organizations still put on film festivals during like pandemic lockdown. And it was a lot of fun to watch all these movies at home, but yeah, it's not the same thing. Movies are so hard to make that, it's kind of about the people, you know, and and when the people get separated from the process, it's a bummer. But recently in the last year, we've gotten to have live screenings and we just played for a week in New York at this movie theater called spectacle theater. And we sold out every night and it's been like so fun. So everything that I wanted, I just had to be patient because it did, you know, it did come eventually, but there were moments there where it felt like, uh, wow, is, you know, is anyone ever going to even see this thing? You know,
3: One thing that is great about the movie is the soundtrack. Can you tell me a little bit more about the composer?
1: We had the concept for the movie, and we were sort of in pre-production. These different people that I was friends with told me, you got to talk to this guy, Simon Haynes, who's here, here in, in New York. You got to talk to Simon Haynes. He's got a band called Tradici Bacci. They do like fake movie soundtracks from like the 70s. And it was like, what, <laughs> you know, that's real. And then I reached out to this guy, Simon, who's now my friend. And he's a wonderful, extremely talented guy. And you go see his his band, which, you know, they play shows. And it's like a 14-piece band, you know, with like a string section and horns and all this stuff. And they can do this kind of Ennio Morricone, like big, super cinematic sound. Again, the budget for Inspector Act was really low. But it was like Simon. Do you think you can figure it out? And he was like, Yeah, I'm down. He he had never. It was his first feature, creating a score for an entire feature, and he also was a huge fan of like the reference material. And when you make a rough cut of a movie, you temp you you do like a temp score where you like lay in, you know, soundtracks from other things that are is what you want it to sound like, and all of the references he totally got. He even knew some of these sort, sort of somewhat obscure like. TV movie composers were from the seventies, you know, the thing that was very cool was he was like, I'm going to do it, but it's going to be sort of so complicated. And there's going to be so many moving parts because he wanted to do it with this full orchestra sound. He was like, I'm not going to make a demo. So you're not going to get like a a MIDI version of the songs and you're at, where you can give me feedback and say, no, it should be more like this. I'm just going to do it. And you're going to like, get what you get. And I was like, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. I was game. So the recording sessions were like multi-tracked and I hung out for the whole recording session. I just got to see all the songs for the movie just sort of like grow, you know, before me. So it would be like, here's the string section. And then it'd be like, wow, that sounds really good. You know? And then the string section goes home and then it's like, here's the harp player. And then it's like, Oh, there's a harp player. You know, it was, it was really like a absolutely delightful thing. He nailed it. The score is, is great. The cherry on top, with Simon and the score is I wanted to have the movie end with like a slightly incongruous like pop song. That was just an idea that I had that I thought it'd be kind of funny if after all this orchestra kind of cinematic song stuff, the movie ended with like a pop song. We were trying to figure out how to like license an old, you know, song. It was just too expensive. We didn't have enough money to license it. So I was like, Simon, do you think you could do sort of a power pop song? And he was like, yeah, I can do it. And this was during the, Lockdown and he was staying with his parents at the time who are both musicians. So he did the song that's at the end is something that he recorded in lockdown and his dad plays drums on the song and his mom sang backup vocals. Yeah, I just think it's like so cute. It's like too cute. Definitely look up Trudy Bachi though. It's a very cool band.
3: Is there gonna be a soundtrack available?
1: There's a little bit more like mastering, I think that they want to do before they put it out, but at the very least we'll put it out digitally. I don't know if there'll be a physical copy, but yeah, we'll get it on like those streamers.
3: So with this long process that you've been undergoing, I know that you've created a few other shorts in the meantime, but where's the movie at as far as like, is it going to continue to play theatrically, have a slow rollout across the country? Are there still festivals in your future? What, what does that hold for
1: Inspector Ike? Because we had the um, virtual film festival circuit, it's not very visible. Like no, no, not very many people know, know about it. We just didn't have the press coverage that comes, I think with in-person, normal film festivals. Because of that, it's been kind of hard to like book the movie in a lot of theaters. It's sort of the former of what you said. It's like, we're, we're right now, we're just, just trying to screen it live at as many places that will take it to hopefully Gradually, kind of draw more interest and more like awareness around the movie. And then at some point, like in late spring, I imagine it'll come out on streaming services and that's how most people will see it. But I think very wisely, Factory 25 is, you know, we were very patient. We could have put it out on the internet, you know, during the pandemic, but they've been very patient with the hopes of getting some press coverage and getting some interest. So it's not just like this thing you kind of dump onto the internet and it disappears into the void. And it's kind of working. You know, we got a review in the New York Times, which was like kind of crazy considering because it's a bit of an underdog. Like the movie's kind of an underdog thing.
3: So, as you're putting the film together, you know, you're talking about the soundtrack, you know, you've already probably done a lot of the editing, if not final picture lock on things. Are you able to get feedback from people? How are you kind of tweaking it at that point? Or is there much tweaking at all?
1: When we were in that final finishing, the final finishing that was happening during the lockdown, that it was basically locked. And it's just about like, you're just doing phone calls and sending texts to the sound mixer and the colorist and sort of saying, hey, could you have to be a little more like this? And then the producer chimes in or with color, the DP gives you know feedback and does a call. So that can all happen remotely. Some people are kind of like shocked that we had to do that, but I actually didn't find that too crazy. I mean, I've had the experience of working on a project where you go to like a formal color house and you kind of sit in this like screening space and you can kind of do it in real time, but that's like a very like luxurious thing to have happen. And and for the most part, almost all my projects is like a colorist is very kindly giving like a discounted rate and they're doing it on their own time and that's fine. So I'm sort of used to it.
3: Are you getting feedback from your friends or anything as far as the edit
1: goes? we actually didn't do like a test screening, but I would have at the time I had a studio space and I would have like people come and We would just watch the movie together and then talk about it. I think I had a really specific sense of what I wanted it to be like. And the the tone of it, which is a very, it has a very peculiar tone and I don't know how much testing would have necessarily helped. I might be completely wrong, but. It, it's like a very quirky thing. And I don't know if we needed to like do too much testing. That's the other thing is that there weren't a lot of options. Like it wasn't a movie where there was like the bandwidth or the space to like radically restructure, you know, it, it kind of was what it was. And it was about sort of honing in on this tone.
3: And you're not doing a hundred million dollars worth of reshoots.
1: There were no reshoots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had no reshoots. <laughs>
3: So when is the first time that you actually get to see the movie with a full audience?
1: The first time with a full audience was at rooftop films last year in 2021. And that was awesome. It was out. It was an outdoor screening. It was during the summer of 2021 when the COVID numbers were pretty low in New York. So it felt very safe. It was like around 250 people and it, and, and it was on a um a pier and you could see the Manhattan skyline like behind the screen sort of lit up. It was really, really special. Uh, first time to see it with a crowd. Yeah.
3: I don't think I actually have come out and told you this, but I fucking love the movie. I thought it was. Oh, thanks. Fantastic. I was laughing very, very hard throughout oh, the entire awesome. thing. So, yeah. I mean, I just kind of knew seeing the trailer, a friend of mine turned me onto the trailer and I was just like, I have to see this. And it didn't disappoint.
1: That's so good to hear. I think the movie's not for everybody, but for certain people, it'll just be very much like their thing. Like they're going to really respond to, to it. And it's kind of like, for me, if I found out that this movie existed, I would be very psyched. I think a thing that I like about the movie is that it has this feeling that nobody asks asked for it. It has this kind of quality that's like, there's no real kind of commercial, obvious like commercial value to it. Like no one would really ever like, develop this you know it would never like come out of a any kind of a normal sort of studio or situation and so it kind of just exists in this way that's like whoa like this exists you know um and i really like that about it
3: i love it i don't imagine though and i'm hoping that the answer is not what i expect i don't imagine there's going to be an inspector like two
1: there's not one in the works. I'm not opposed, but I don't think we could um, do it again in the same way that we did this first one. We it's sort of like you can't pull the same heist twice or something. It just would it would not work if we tried to do it again. But if there's you know someone out there who wants to help do more, I'm I'm definitely would be very into it. The coolest thing would be doing something sort of like Sherlock, that TV show Sherlock, which are also feature length where it's just like one to two, one two or three. Every, you know, two years kind of thing on PBS. I feel like that would be like a good way to keep it going, but it's a tall order. I don't know if it scales down to a half hour nicely. I think that part of what makes it good is that it has so much air and that it kind of takes its time. Yeah.
3: So what are you working on now?
1: I produced a low budget feature called um, Dad and Stepdad, which actually I think I'm wearing the hat. Yes, you are. I'm wearing the hat. Yeah, so I produced a feature called Dad and Stepdad that's with some of the people that are that are in Inspector Ike, including Anthony Oberbeck and this comedian, Colin Burgess. And it's directed by this filmmaker named Tynan DeLong. I'm really excited about that. We're, we're finishing post right now and we're waiting to hear back from festivals. It's a comedy about dad and a stepdad going on like a weekend trip with their son. And it's like a sort of awkward comedy. It's really funny. I also have a new script that I wrote that I'm excited about and I have producers that want to help make it and we're trying to get the money and we haven't gotten it yet, but I'm not, I have not given up hope. Yeah. I've been producing since we made the movie. I've kind of learned more about producing. Yeah. I don't know what the big project is going to be this year.
3: Well, Graham, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for making Inspector Ike.
1: Ah, thanks. I'm really glad you like it. Um, Oh yeah.
3: I will sing about this one from the tallest trees. Cause it is so fantastic.
1: I think I can reveal this. I don't think I'll be in trouble. Uh, one thing that's cool in terms of the releases, we're going to release a blu-ray and it uh, through vinegar syndrome. Are you a fan of that? Oh yeah. Love that label. So they're going to put out a blu-ray of the movie uh, later this year. So I'm, I'm psyched about that. Yeah. I will be
3: pre-ordering.
1: Okay, cool. <laughs> that's great. Thanks so much.
3: I want to know a little bit more about you and how you got into the business, because you are kind of a a multi-threat with Mm -hmm. acting, writing, producing, I think, just so many things that you've been up to. And then, of course, the stand-up is fantastic.
2: I grew up in Texas, child of immigrants from Nigeria, and uh, somewhere along the line, I became enamored with uh, acting and performing kind of in, in middle school. Uh, yeah, I remember in seventh grade uh, telling my mom that I wanted to be an actor. There wasn't much uh, pushback to that. And so, yeah, I basically went to school for acting, uh, which brought me to New York. I went to NYU. Yeah, I think originally had an idea that I would be, uh, yeah, make a life as a theater actor somehow. I did this dance theater program in Bali a couple of years after college. And for some reason, I don't know why, it just occurred to me um, this sort of comic sensibility that I had in sort of my day-to-day life might be worthwhile expressing on stage in front of people. Uh, Then a couple of years after that, tried to find places to do that. And then that that led me kind of from theater to the more uh, stand-up comedy scene. Yeah, that's how I entered comedy. Yeah, just kind of over the years going to going to mics and then eventually going on to comedy shows. You meet people who are up to the same thing, and and then you meet people who make you laugh or whose work you uh, respect or inspired by, and. The dream is that you all start to uh, just start orbiting each other and then uh, collaboration uh, happens.
3: When is the first
2: time that you stand up on stage and try to do an act? Well, I remember my first open mic was maybe 2010. It was kind of a one-off situation where I had some funny ideas that I would riff with a friend on, I thought, oh, I wonder if I could do this in front of people. And it's was it really, a, it was one of the most out-of-body experiences I think I've ever experienced where, yeah, I think I got up there and quickly realized I had no idea what to do. And it was strange because, yeah, I uh, had been doing like theater and had uh, been doing theater for uh, a while but the experience of just standing up on stage alone with other people looking at you uh, just made me yeah it just felt like an out-of-body experience and had no idea what i was doing so yeah it ended very quickly yeah it took me a little while to get back up there but that was the first uh first stand-up experience so I know you said you were doing a
3: lot of stage work. Was there much of an opportunity for commercials, television, uh, film appearances at that same time as well? I mean, how did that come about for you?
2: When I was mostly doing theater and starting to do stand-up, I I, I wasn't yeah making a, a living from either of those things. And then I I, I wasn't really pursuing or or even knew how to pursue jobs in t v and film, so yeah that that time was like a basically yeah a huge hodgepodge of various side jobs and side gigs and yeah, whatever I could do to somehow stay afloat while pursuing a general idea of wanting to perform for a living, yeah, I think around twenty eighteen. A few jobs, I guess, started coming in a bit more back to back, which helped. The following year, I'd been awarded this arts grant from the Jerome Foundation, which sort of further helped devote more time to just kind of pursuing creative work yeah i found representation around that time and so i remember it sort of almost felt like a video game where suddenly you were in a you finally found the uh i don't know the secret uh tunnel that leads to oh this is people just audition for tv shows and things or people just send in writing packets you just write things and film yourself doing things and send it to people who say yes or no. Your comic style that I've seen is,
3: it's very dry, almost bordering on Stephen Wright, but I would say the reality speaks even more to like an Andy Kaufman. Who were some of your influences?
2: Yeah, Andy Kaufman was a big influence. I felt like watching his work was sort of like a a bridge between my more theatrical background which was kind of like collaborative and sort of experimental to this world of kind of performing solo and doing stand-up. Yeah it's funny I feel like YouTube was really instrumental in in building my sensibility in a way because it's what I used to watch all this old Andy Kaufman. I really liked old American entertainment like a uh, old tonight shows with steve allen and johnny carson yeah something about the sort of very formal nature of going about the business of entertaining people just seemed very amusing to me was also kind of fascinating coming from theater where i guess i guess depending on the production you're you're wearing a certain costume or the stage is configured a certain way Um, So to watch like a classic late night show that just has the same set for 5, 10, 20, 30 years and a suit every single night just struck me as like an odd curiosity. Yeah. Anyway, I guess once I get curious about something, uh, it's usually a good sign to, to explore it. Can you tell me about working with Graham Mason and Words with Ike? Yeah, I met Graham and he's still saved in my phone this way. I was doing a showcase, like comedy show for IFC, the channel. And for some reason, Graham was there and we met that night. This may have been 2015. So, yeah, he saved in my phone as IFC contact. And I think maybe about a year later, if I'm remembering correctly, he was working on another short with another comedian, Anna Fabrega. And she mentioned my name as a potential collaborator for that. And so the short photos with Anna was the first thing we worked on together. And I think by that time, or maybe a little after that time, I would sometimes post short videos to Facebook and Instagram. I think usually trying to invite people to shows that I was doing, but we're kind of done in this direct to camera a little Mr. Rogers esque, yeah, a little avuncular in tone. Anyway, I'd been making these short videos, and I think Graham saw them and approached me with this idea of, you know, what if we, I think at first he suggested possibly doing like little short videos for Advent, if I'm remembering correctly, which Advent, if I'm remembering correctly, is the period before Christmas, doing like a short little Advent video. And then, yeah, somewhere along the line, the idea of words came up, making like a little short video focusing on a word, which sounded like a lot of fun and sort of, yeah, I guess in in my stand-up at the time and to this day, I guess uh, there can be a tendency to find a topic or a word or phrase or idea and just kind of play around with it like it's a toy words with like felt like uh that would be fun to do and relatively simple to pull off yeah that's sort of how that got started yeah there's one
3: where you are investigating a word that has a silent n at the end i believe and you uh take on the moniker of Detective Ike. And I was curious if that's where Inspector Ike came from.
2: No, I'm so glad you caught that, though. I mean, maybe in in our collective subconscious, it was bubbling and maybe it bubbled up from there. But yeah, the idea for Inspector Ike came, yeah, this was in 2018 as well. Yeah, I think Graham was pretty well versed in like detective novels and yeah, and it reached out to me uh, with this idea of perhaps having like an Agatha Christie type um, murder mystery series of shorts called Inspector Ike, where each short I would like, in uh, I would uh, interrogate a suspect, and then it would conclude with, um, yeah, figuring out who done it. It was, I think it was sometime while we were working on Inspector Ike, I went back to watch words with ike and saw that uh, episode you mentioned the word limb i've always thought to myself if only we said inspector ike in that short i imagined uh, what if i was george lucas and i just you know, went. we went back and just uh did a special edition of words with like where we just changed it to inspector Ike somehow to uh fully uh have the full ike universe uh in sync and aligned with each other this wasn't your first feature but this is definitely the first time
3: where you were the titular character i believe
2: yeah i think it was the first feature i filmed yeah we filmed in august of 2019 yeah it was a lot of fun there was so much that was new i'd never spent that much time on set before as a performer i'm not sure if what i'm about to say Uh, I don't know, sounds basic, but I guess coming from performing uh, live for people, it it took a while to adjust to sets having to be quiet and there being no laughter. Yeah, sort of wondering and hoping that things were working or would read as funny um, eventually once it got in front of a screen.
3: I never really thought about that, that you've had live feedback for so much of your work and not to have that there.
2: I think I'm a little more used to it now, but at first it was very, I would constantly forget that people were not allowed or would could not respond in the moment and would kind of, yeah, wonder, oh, is this, is this working? Yeah, it was interesting. What was the writing process like? I guess very conversational uh, from my end. Um, I think Graham has a pretty strong like film and, and TV background, had like a greater sense of sort of like overall structure. So we would basically, yeah, meet for coffee like every couple of weeks or so and just kind of hash out ideas for Inspector Ike and different directions it could go in and, yeah, different ideas for the character to toss in. And he'd kind of go off and write a draft or write a scene and send it over. And I'd send back notes and we'd meet up again and get a coffee and talk and very conversational um, sort of back and forth. And then I guess the sort of foundation of sorts, I guess, for the project was a live version of the show which was pretty much completely improvised and i guess compared to the uh how catch him nature of inspector ike where uh you see the murder and then you're watching inspector ike basically you're watching to see how he'll catch the murder uh the live show was more of a whodunit where uh yeah the agatha christie mode anyway that live show was more uh more improvisational and i think some ideas that um, bubbled up in that show also landed later in the film version were you a big columbo fan growing up no i wasn't a big columbo fan although i think he was a fixture in my imagination i don't know there's some me- some figures in media who as a kid i don't know uh, form part of your understanding of the way the world is. Yeah, I remember thinking as a kid that Leno and Letterman sort of came with the TV. Like, this is the world, and the world is that these two people come on TV at 11.30, 10.30 Central. Almost like a distant uncle, Columbo, was sort of there. stumbled across in, like, reruns in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah, I was a big fan of the the BBC office. And I remembered there was a joke that David Brent make where he does a Columbo impression. But yeah, it wasn't until pretty recently that I, in fact, I don't know why I started watching Columbo again. Maybe it was a YouTube thing, just stumbled across old episodes online and was entertained and did a little bit of a of a deep dive into those old episodes how was the shoot for you the shoot was pretty good you know it was very quick everyone more or less kind of knew each other particularly among the performers so i think it felt pretty comfortable and and just like kind of fun to play around it's funny. It, it has been a while now yeah it was summer it was hot sometimes, but that's to be, it would have been hot even if I was not filming. So, I don't know if that's a special feature of filming. But yeah, it was it was a fun, nice, and 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 basically comfortable time. We were all just kind of looking forward to see how exactly it would all shape up. When did you shoot Judas and the Black Messiah? Uh, so, that was filmed uh later that year so yeah inspector ike was filmed august of 2019 and then judas i worked on that starting late october into about mid-december of that year yeah pre-pandemic i guess it feels yeah like even longer ago than it is in measured time when is the first time you actually get to see Inspector Ike with an audience? So that was we did an outdoor screening with Rooftop Films in June of 2021. Um was the first time seeing it with an audience. And yeah, it was outdoors. Uh, I forget the pier, but a pier in Sunset Park, uh Brooklyn. Yeah, it's pretty it was pretty magical seeing this uh, movie set in new york against the skyline of new york how
3: was it seeing the audience reaction we talked about how you weren't able to get that feedback on set what's it like now hearing the laughter in person
2: yeah it's great at that first screening yeah you could kind of hear the laughs i think i didn't really sit down to watch so much i because it was kind of an open area, I felt like I, yeah, I just kind of would get up from time to time and pace and um, distract myself a little bit for some reason. But I did hear laughs here and there, and, and that that felt good. Week of screenings at Spectacle were really something because it's such an intimate venue. Anyway, so yeah, out, outdoors there was laughter, but it kind of I don't know, mixes in with the sound of the. The water and uh, everything else, there were some fireworks as well. But yeah, being at spectacle uh, and just hearing that the, anyway, the last had nowhere else to go except off the walls and uh, into the room. So yeah, I think that's where it started to feel like it's it's playing well in a room of, of people together. So yeah, that felt uh, felt very satisfying. And how about now? what are you working on these days? I'm writing for the show Z-Way on Showtime, which we're on a a short little hiatus now, but we'll be back uh, end of uh, sometime this spring. Yeah, just writing stand-up, trying to develop a new project or, or further develop this project that I've been cooking up for a while. Hopefully, I'll have something concrete to share sooner than later. But yeah at the moment just uh mostly kind of taking it a little easy and learning uh piano a little bit the bit of downtime that i have between scheduled gigs is there any hope for an inspector ike 2 well you know there's always hope in life and uh they say hope is free i i would definitely be game to do an inspector ike 2 if there's a benefactor out there who's, I don't know, has funding that they hope to put towards a fun movie. And where's the best place for people to check
3: you out and what you're working on?
2: I usually post the latest goings on, on social media. Uh, so my handle is Ike minded. Uh, and then IkeHimself.com com uh, also has uh, updates from time to time um so yeah that's that's the that's the best place to find out the latest well ike thank you so much for your time this was great oh thank you very much um the pleasure was all mine as they say that just about does it around here did you catch all the clues in tonight's episode there were 47 of them be sure to tune in next week for another exciting episode of inspector ike until then Keep searching, gumshoes. I
0: know you're looking out for something special. The tragic between you and... Saturday. See you on Saturday. See you on Saturday night. Case closed. Stick around. An all new episode of Inspector Mike is up next.